listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Today I want to talk about how to exit a windstorm. How to exit a windstorm. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. One day he, Jesus, one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. I want to talk about how to exit a windstorm. A windstorm is a dangerous, life-altering event or series of events brought about by divine or devilish means that shape our view of God, our enjoyment of God, and therefore your impact. A windstorm has everything to do with how you live your life now and your eternal legacy before God. Verse 22, notice what it says here. One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. Now, most likely, this is probably the 12. The boats of that particular time were not big enough to put hundreds of people on them, at least in the Sea of Galilee at this particular time. So this is most likely a reference, as Luke sometimes refers to the disciples as a large group, could be hundreds of people, and other times it refers to specifically the 12, the 12 apostles. Well, in this particular case, it's most likely the 12 disciples. So Jesus gets into the boat with the disciples, and who says to them? Jesus says to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Now, it's one thing to get out of a windstorm, but before we even talk about getting out of one, let's talk about how you get in one in the first place. Notice it's Jesus who invites the disciples to get into the boat. This is Jesus' idea, not the disciples' idea. They're in a predominantly Jewish area. Jesus says, let's get into a boat and go to the other side. So who gets the disciples into this conundrum? It's Jesus. Jesus has the idea. Jesus knows how to get you into a windstorm. That's exactly what he does in this particular instance. It's Jesus' idea to invite the 12 into harm's way. It's Jesus' idea to get the 12 to follow him into uncharted territory, rough seas. Now, the interesting thing about this situation is that there are fishermen who are in this boat with Jesus, and they are quaking and shaking in their boots. It takes a significant squall, a significant storm to shake a fisherman. Now, I was in the Sea of Galilee a number of years ago, and the way it's set up, it's very large. It's called... A lake in some instances, in other instances, a sea. There are mountains. We would call them foothills here based on proximity to what's around them, relatively speaking. But it's set up in such a way, it's so large that the conditions are right and ripe 
for a storm, a windstorm, to be able to kick up at any particular time. You can be out there in deep waters, in over your head, literally speaking, and a windstorm can kick up out of, the, out of nowhere. And this is exactly what happens. It's historically accurate. You get an, a sense that the writer, Luke, is familiar with the situation there, what would happen from time to time, often. And so what happened in this instance is that Jesus says, get into the boat. They get into the boat, and what happens next? Jesus. We learn something about Jesus that we could almost chuckle about. We know a lot of things that Jesus has been healing the sick and casting out demons and raising the dead. And here in this particular case, Jesus knew how to cut logs. Jesus knew how to sleep when nobody else would even be thinking about sleeping. Jesus, being very familiar with where he was going, where he was taking the disciples in the boat, they're quaking and shaking in their boots, they're alarmed, and it takes a very, very significant storm to alarm a fisherman, a seasoned fisherman, as Peter, James, and John were. And where's Jesus? He's fast asleep. Jesus knew how to sleep because Jesus knew who he was. This is a passage that helps us understand the identity of Jesus. It gives us insight into who Jesus is. Luke is asking and then answering the same question that you and I should be asking and answering initially when we come to faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time and again and again as we take that continual deeper journey with Jesus. Who is he? What is Jesus capable of doing because of who he is? Now, in Psalm 89, look with me at Psalm 89, beginning in verse 8. Look what it says here. Interesting passage of Scripture. O Lord, God of hosts, God of armies, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Here's a clear example from Scripture about God being in charge of the waves of the ocean, that God is the one who rules the waves. And again, in the 107th Psalm, Psalm 107, look what we read beginning in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. These are some serious waves. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Who did they cry to? The Lord, God. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Interesting, fascinating passage of Scripture. And who gets the disciples into this windstorm? Jesus himself. When did we start buying in as a nation and the more quote-unquote developed nations in this world, when did we start buying into this absolute diabolical lie that if I follow God, he'll protect me from all harm, all difficulty, and every windstorm? Why is it that our faith is oftentimes so weak when it should be so strong? I think it might be because we don't understand the significance of following Jesus. And that when we follow Jesus, it is the norm, not the exception. It's the norm, not the exception. It's the norm, 
The normal Christian life is that you get into the boat with Jesus and Jesus takes you into dangerous territory. Waters that take you out of your comfort zone will stretch you beyond the limits that a human being is able to take that will, that will bring grown fishermen to the point of coming to their knees and crying out to the only one who can really do anything. His name is Jesus. The way you get into a windstorm is by following Jesus. It's significant that Jesus is the one who has the idea. They're in safe territory. Jesus has been having success in his ministry, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead. His following is coming up and up and up and up. More and more people are following. The number of disciples is growing, at least at a infantile level. There are people following Jesus, who knows for what particular reasons. Ultimately speaking, we find out as we continue to read the gospel. And here we have this instance where Jesus is the one who initiates everything. The way you get into a windstorm is by following Jesus in the first place. That's how you get into it. You better believe that if you are following Jesus, the normal experience of your life should be that you are in turbulent waters for the glory of God. Now listen, there's purposefulness, there's intentionality of Jesus in getting the disciples into that boat. This is a flashback moment. Last time together, we looked at the man who had so many demons that he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And Jesus cast out all of those demons. There were thousands of them that went into the pigs, off the cliff, and into the abyss, into the water, and drowned. That's what we talked about last time together. Here we're learning how they got there in the first place. Here we're learning how the demonized man, the first Gentile missionary, came to know Jesus as his Savior. After that instance, what does Jesus do? He gets in the boat with the disciples, and they go back to the other side, to Jewish territory. You mean to tell me that it was all of this, the raging storm, putting the disciples in harm's way, in danger, in difficulty, getting them outside of their comfort zone, to get them to go and rescue one grimy, stinky, filthy, dirty, loony tune of a guy? Jesus went through all of that just for one guy? Yes. He absolutely did. It's striking that in this passage, there's all this buildup, all this drama, spiritually speaking, to get the disciples and Jesus into a boat to rescue a guy who was cutting himself and jumping up and down absolutely stark naked couldn't be held in chains, couldn't be held in shackles, continued to break them. He was a raving madman, humanly speaking. No, that's not what he was. Divinely speaking, from God's perspective, he was somebody who was worth pursuing. He was somebody of strategic importance in the divine scheme of life, in the divine scheme of things. If you wait to follow God until it makes sense, you'll never follow God. And that's our problem in many Christian circles. We are not following God because it doesn't make sense to follow him. It doesn't make sense to get into the waters with Jesus if getting into that boat, if getting into that boat is going to lead me to turbulent water, I might as well not even get in that boat in the first place. You have no idea, eternally speaking, of the consequences, the significance of your obedience 
of your obedience to Jesus, and you have no idea of the consequences and significance of your disobedience. See, the truth of the matter is that you're either going to be in God's windstorm that Jesus led you into, or you're going to be in your own windstorm that God had nothing to do with. Both of them are terrible places to be, at least for a season. They get you out of your comfort zone. They stretch you beyond your ability to comprehend. They stretch you beyond your ability to endure. And if you're in God's boat, if you're in that whirlwind, you will call out to Jesus. He will hear you. He doesn't get freaked out by the windstorms that he creates. He sent you there in the first place. But then there's the other windstorm that we create. See, both of them are dangerous places to be. Both of them get us out of our comfort zone. Both of them, the windstorm that God creates that's divine, and the other one that is devilish and dastardly and fleshly and worldly, created by poor decisions we make. Both of them, both whirlwinds, are uncomfortable places to be. But only one results in a deeper understanding of God for his glory. Only one results in a strategic plan of God that leads people to the feet of Jesus. Only one is created by obedience to God, surrender to God, commitment to God. Faith in God. Here the disciples didn't understand everything about Jesus, and neither do you. You just need to obey God in what you understand of him and let him connect the dots. Let him lead you and direct you. Both whirlwinds are dangerous places to be, difficult places to be, painful places to be. But the one that is devilish and dastardly, the way you get into each of those whirlwinds is dramatically different. The way you get into the diabolical, dastardly, devilish whirlwind is by disobeying Jesus. By choosing to not surrender to Jesus. You might be surrendered to Jesus in nine out of ten areas of your life, but it is the one area that you are withholding from him. It is the one area... I'm speaking by experience. The one area that you withhold from God in most often instances is the area that has greatest significance in the eternal scheme of life. Many people have decided to withhold from God the thing that he's calling to them in that one area created a whirlwind for themselves, a windstorm for themselves. Difficult, hard, pressing, stressing, overwhelming situation has been created, not because we obeyed God, but because we disobeyed God. It can be in an area of finances. Many of us are financially strapped in over our heads because we refuse to trust God to provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And instead, we felt that we would be smarter than God, that we would provide for ourselves for the things that we wanted, not necessarily the things that we needed. Very important to make a distinction between your wants and your needs. And, in fact, highly motivational to understand that other people in other parts of the world are suffering just to make ends meet 
for the glory of God while we are enduring not much suffering, not much sacrifice, because we can't get our heads wrapped around a distinction between what we want and what we need. There's a difference between what you want and what you need. Many people are in the midst of a windstorm that they've created because they could not make a distinction between their wants and their needs. And so financially, their lives are a mess. Many of us are in relationships that we shouldn't be involved in or we shouldn't have been involved in. We're paying the price of it because we made the decision to be in the relationship when Jesus was telling us, no, don't do that. Don't go there. But we think we know better. And so we reject godly counsel. We reject the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. And so what do we do? We put ourselves in a position as if we are God. We make the decision to get involved in a relationship we shouldn't be involved in. And then the windstorm begins. Now, let me say this about people who are married. You might be in a situation and you might say, you might be saying, I knew I shouldn't have married this person. I knew it. And that's why uh, my life is in such a turmoil. That's why I'm on these deep waters. Listen, when you said I do, you meant you would. When you said I do, you promised that you would. When you said, I do, you did not merely make a decision and a commitment to a person. Immature people think of marriage that way. Well, it's just a commitment to a person. After all, the grass is greener until you start eating it. People who are spiritually mature, tracking with Jesus, know that marriage is not just a commitment to a person. The commitment to a person is an overflow of a commitment to God who created marriage. Somebody doesn't want to be committed to their spouse. What you're doing is you're announcing and pronouncing to all the world, I'm not interested in following God. I don't care about following God. I'm not interested in submitting to him. I'm not going to follow him, so I'm just going to do my own thing. You'll always and only be committed to your spouse the degree to which you should in proportion to your commitment to Jesus. You want to change the, the nature of your marital relationship? It begins with rediscovering your personal commitment to Jesus Christ. You want to be a great father? You want to be a great mother? Be a great follower of Jesus Christ. Get in the boat that Jesus is rowing. Get out of the boat that you've been rowing. Many of us are in a, in a canoe that's like rowing a canoe through the mud because we've created our own windstorm because we don't want to follow Jesus. We don't want to obey Jesus. And now we're wallowing in the mud. We've created problems for ourselves. So what do we do? It's like the healthcare system in this country. It's like the uh, healthcare.gov. Lord, bless our leaders in this nation. They need it. Let's spend $50 million on a website. How many of you would like to have a million dollars to create your own website? $50 million on a website that doesn't work. Let's throw good money after bad. Let's keep throwing more at it, thinking that we're going to change something. You know, that's what many of us do, because we've made faulty decisions that were based outside the plan, the purpose of God. So what do we do? We add insult to injury. We think that there's something that I can do, staying in my whirlwind, staying 
staying in my conundrum. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to change my attitude. I'm not going to make anything right. I'm not going to get out of the boat and get into Jesus' boat. I'm just going to keep trying to make this work. And you keep trying to make it work. And you keep putting your hands on it. And you pray harder. And you fast. And you work hard. And you sacrifice. And you keep throwing good money after bad. But I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your life. You don't have enough money to make right what can only be made right by your surrender to God. There is no substitute for absolute, unconditional, faith-filled surrender to Jesus Christ. There is no way to compensate for a life that would otherwise be surrendered to God in the one area, the bullseye, that Jesus is speaking to you about. You can't compensate for a lack of surrender. Other people might look and say, oh, so spiritual, oh, so mature, but you know, deep down inside, you know where God spoke to you, how he spoke to you, when he spoke to you. You don't know why he spoke to you, but while you're trying to make your whirlwind work, while you're trying to make your windstorm work, while it's not going to work, you are sacrificing the deliverance that Jesus would provide for you, the comfort that Jesus would provide for you, the fruitfulness that only comes in surrender to Jesus, you're going to have problems in this world whether you are creating your own windstorm or whether you're in Jesus' boat in his windstorm. Which problems would you rather have? The ones that come from being in Jesus' boat or the problems that come from trying to row your own canoe through the mud? Which problems would you like to have? Did you hear what I just said? Do you understand what God is trying to teach you through what I'm saying? You are going to have problems in your life. Those of you who have resisted God for a long time and then finally surrendered, you could come up here and preach this message for me. You're going to have problems in your life. That's not a question. Getting into the boat with Jesus put the, uh, the apostles, the disciples, in harm's way. They were fearful of their very lives. But guess who was in the boat? Sleeping. Jesus. Guess who wasn't thrown off by the events? Wasn't surprised by the events. In fact, Jesus probably knew it was coming. Maybe this is even a situation where demonic forces, knowing where Jesus was headed, knowing the mission of Jesus, knowing the strategic significance of that one person, the demonized guy, maybe they were trying to prevent Jesus from getting there in the first place. What do you think happens when you try to follow Jesus I can't preach this hard enough. I can't plead with you and beg you strongly enough to help you understand this. When you decide to follow Jesus, hell will throw everything at you. To do what? To prevent the kingdom of God from advancing. You've got to make up your mind. You've got to make up your mind in that boat. Whether you're going to be scared by the forces of darkness or whether you're going to have a healthy, holy fear of God who's in control, who can protect protect you. He's directing you. Stop being mesmerized and surprised at the difficult situation you're going through. It comes with following Jesus. Can we move on? 
When you make up your mind to follow Jesus, you will have problems thrown at you, everything including the kitchen sink. But you don't have to worry. Jesus didn't worry when the disciples were in the boat. Jesus is so relaxed and so assured of who he is and what he's doing that he's sleeping. So why are you mesmerized and perplexed and troubled at the difficulty that's coming your way because you're following Jesus? Listen, the worst place to be is in your own situation, your own whirlwind, your own windstorm that you've created. And you're trying to change. Listen, you want that to change? Repent. You want to get out of your windstorm that you created? change what you've been doing. Insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. You want to get out of the windstorm? This is the beautiful thing about Jesus. The way to get into the divine windstorm is by following Jesus. The way to get out of the divine windstorm, the difficulty and the hardship, is to call out on Jesus. Did you notice what the, what the disciples do? What do they do here? They went and woke him, verse 24, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And what did it result in? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves Listen to him. What happens when you're in God's windstorm? When you follow Jesus, it causes you to see Jesus and the glory of God in ways you would have never seen before if you didn't surrender, if you didn't obey. What's at stake in your surrender? Clearer picture of Jesus. Clearer understanding of the glory of God and usefulness for the kingdom. What if the disciples said, you know what, Jesus? There ain't no way... We're getting in this boat and going across that lake for one guy. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't consult with them first and ask them, what do you guys think? There's a guy over there who's got thousands of demons in him. What do you say we get into one of your boats, row across that sea, run the risk of hitting a squall that could take us all under and sink the boat, kill all of us, for that one guy, and then we'll come back and have lunch. I'm so thankful that Jesus does not tell me everything, all the consequences of my obedience and my surrender, and you should be too, because you might not get into the boat. And if you don't get into the boat, you might sacrifice legacy. You might sacrifice your eternal reward, spiritually speaking, because you think you're smarter than God. The way into the divine windstorm is by following Jesus. The way out of the divine windstorm is by calling out to Jesus. The way into the devilish, diabolical windstorm is by failing to follow Jesus. But the way out for each one is the same. God is so merciful. He's so kind. He's so gracious. That all we need to do is call out to him in the midst of our windstorm, in the midst of the problem and the difficulty and the mess that we created. If we will humble ourselves and simply ask him to get us out to exchange your whirlwind, your windstorm for Jesus, he'll take you up at your sincerity. There are many people who feel that they're, I just cannot ask God to get me out of what I created. 
I don't want to bother God. He's got bigger fish to fry. He's got more to concern himself with. I don't want to trouble him. I created this problem. After all, I'm going to get into it. No, you're, I'm going to get out of it. No, you're not going to get out of it. You're not because the devil wants you in bondage. The devil wants you isolated. The devil will do anything and everything to keep you from glorifying God. What you need to do if you find yourself in that windstorm that you have created, humanly speaking, by bad choices, by choices of rejecting Jesus, by not submitting to the Holy Spirit, by not surrendering, whatever the area or areas are, the way out is the same way when you're following God, asking Jesus to move. God is perfectly happy, perfectly willing to take your windstorm get you out of your situation, put you in his boat, and get you on a new direction. But he will not force you to do it. Now, your circumstances might be such that you're getting increasingly uncomfortable by what's happening. But for the love of God, literally, for the love of God, literally, stop the insanity. Which of the problems would you rather have, those that come from following Jesus or those that come from resisting Jesus? Which, which reward would you rather have, the rewards that come with being a self-made man, self-made woman, working hard, resisting the Holy Spirit, and getting whatever material blessings you get here and now, or the ones that come in the life to come, and in the meantime, in this present life? by surrendering to Jesus and walking with him. Nobody has ever resisted God and come out a winner. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.